VK6ARN. News West, we are a community organisation and we've been serving up the best amateur radio news in Australia since 1931. Hi there, I'm Clinton, VK6FCRC, and welcome to News West for the 18th of February 2024. Now over to Bob, VK6POP, with information on the John Moyle Field Day. Hi, I'm Bob, VK6POP, and I'm here to remind you about the John Moyle Memorial Field Day, which is only four weeks away, and that's on the 16th and 17th of March. Before I go on about other stuff in the contest, it's important to remind you that this contest commences at 0100 UTC on the Saturday. So you'd either have to get up real early to set up or start late after setting up or do the setting up on the Friday. It sounds good to me. Today I'm talking about you running a portable station for the John Moyle. After all, it's a contest aimed primarily at portable operation. Before you throw your hands up in horror at the thought of operating portable, it could be as simple as working from your mobile installation in the car or throwing a line over a tree in a local park. With a bit of imagination and determination, portable ops for most people isn't too hard. So what should you consider when setting up a portable station for a contest? Let's just go through some basics that you must consider and leave the rest to you to work out for yourself how you'd like to do it. The bleeding obvious things that you have to take are one or more transceivers depending on the bands that you're going to work, a power source, e.g. generator or a battery and solar panels or windmill or any combination of those and you must include power leads of course and power boards to share the power around antennas suitable for the bands that you plan to work i intend to set up one multi-band hf antenna and one dual or tri-band antenna for vhf and uhf and of course feed lines for the antennas and a means of hoisting the antennas to a useful height basic spare bits tools and a soldering iron you don't know how much you're going to use those and contest logging equipment. So that means a laptop and a VK contest logger is a good one. There are others. I'll leave you to find that out for yourself. So that, even though very simply described, will get you on air. So where are you going to do it? You need space for antennas, trees for skyhooks, permission to be there, and so forth. Depending on how long you're running the station for, is it 6 or 24 hours or 12 hours? That's up to you. You have to consider shelter. Gazebos are great. Uh, food, drinks, chairs, tables, and sometimes if you're sleeping over, you need sleeping arrangements. And as I said early, this is a list of basics. The devil is in the detail, and I'll talk on some of the detail over the next few weeks. The Peel Amateur Radio Group would like to thank everyone for their involvement in the Pargfest and annual swap meet on the 10th of February at the Mantra Bowling Club. In spite of the very hot weather outside, in the air-conditioned interior, we had a record attendance. The raffle was a complete success and we actually made a profit. Everyone enjoyed the barista and also the sausage sizzle. It was a good day enjoyed by all. And we look forward to doing it again on the second Saturday of February next year. Thank you. Hi, I'm Steve, VK6SJ, with another episode of Did You Know? thought I'd talk about another subject I don't know much about, CW. For those of you who are seasoned CW operators, this is a good time to go grab a coffee. I'm thinking to aim this at operators who haven't yet tried this mode. 
CW, also known as Morse code, is the oldest form of radio communications and is transmitted by keying up your transmitter at prescribed intervals using a code, that is, Morse code. Almost all radios have a means of sending Morse code, typically a socket where you connect a Morse key or a paddle. I say most because if you have something like a converted CB radio on 10 metres, like my first radio, CW is a bit more of a challenge. My first shot at CW was using an old Dick Smith practice key that used a mechanical buzzer. I held the microphone down next to the key as well as the key itself, tapped away on the key with my other hand until the battery got a bit flat and the tone changed to something not very Morse-like. And at that point, my first contact on CW had to look around his shack for a microphone and then called me to inform me that modulated CW was not a permitted mode for a novice license holder. That was the end of my CW days on 10 metres for a bit until I ended up with a proper ham rig. In those days, though, we had to learn Morse to gain a licence. So, in this day of digital modes, interconnected repeaters, and all kinds of whiz-bang things to do on amateur radio, and with Morse no longer being a requirement for gaining a licence anywhere in the world, CW is dead, isn't it? Not at all, in fact. I seem to remember lots of old-timers lamenting the removal of Morse as a requirement and worried that no one would retain the skill. Fact is that CW is alive and well. In fact, if you look on a pan adapter across both CW and SSB sections of any given band, you'll normally see a lot lot more activity in the CW portion than on SSB. If you're a newbie to CW, there are a few ways you can ease yourself into this great mode. First things first, you do need to learn Morse. There are some CW decoders around, but none work that well, unless the Morse is computer generated, and even then it's a bit hit and miss. Plus, if you're gonna do that, you might as well just use an opera, use a digital mode. There are some great Morse apps you can put on your phone or download to your PC to learn Morse code as well. And then there's the slow CW net on 80 meters every Tuesday night. I believe it has 30 to 40 participants and probably that again of listeners. Contests can be a good place to practice as well. In particular is the CQ Worldwide CW contest. The exchange is the signal report plus your CQ zone. Makes your report easy to remember and your other parties report very predictable. On top of that, because WA and NT are the only Zone 29 operators, this is one contest where you are rare DX, so you'll find CW operators more forgiving of your efforts. I might add it's also a great time to give your DXCC CW tally a shot in the arm. Another good training ground for CW is the Remembrance Day contest. You get double points for CW contests, so your club will love you for participating at the club station. Typically, there are only 30 or 40 CW operators in the RD, so by the end of the contest, after working each of these operators every three hours on every band, There's some great camaraderie, and it also doesn't seem to matter if you take three attempts to get the call sign exchange right. The RD crowd are just happy to have another station to contact, so they'll be very patient. How about sending CW? Well, there's the good old hand Morse key. Most ham-fest flea markets will deliver you a half-decent key for under 100 beer coupons. Looking at VK Ham Classifieds, there were two keys for sale for $120 for the pair. I don't recommend stealing one from your warship's Manpack HF radio, and you can't prove it was me anyway. And it was a cool key, though. 
and straps to your knees so you can use it while you're driving. Many CW operators, and I suspect more than you'll find admitting it, use a computer or their radio to generate morse. In contests and on day expeditions, using macros and computer-generated morse is not uncommon. I have to say, I've probably been known to be a bit of a lazy CW operator. I have macros set up on my HF rig to send up to 12 prescribed transmissions. I can recognise my own call sign and the characters 5NN at 30 words a minute, even though I'd struggle to have a rag chew at 15 words a minute. And rare DX stations are spotted in DX clusters, so you know who they are. You can probably get DXCC on CW without really learning CW. Having said that, even doing the lazy man CW operating, you'll find yourself relying less and less on clusters, etc., as your brain trains itself to receive Morse code. That's actually the reason for contesting, isn't it? So, looking for your next ham adventure but can't afford the fuel to get to a soda peak? Sit at home in the air conditioning and give CW a go. It's a lot like learning a second language and very satisfying as you get there. Thanks for listening. This is Steve, AK6SJ, and you're listening to News West. Hi, just a little note about VK6RRG and the WAG Technical and General Net. Having it run every Sunday morning on VK6RLM, that's 146.750 or channel 3 in the old money. And it starts at 10.30am this morning. Of course, if you're listening in the evening, it's next week. This is News West. Your amateur radio news on VK6ARN, originating on the News West Linked Repeater Network and HF Relays. Tomorrow is C Day for amateur radio in Australia, C for Class Licence Day. Some may say, big deal, and it is in a way a big deal, in that it's a huge shift in amateur radio licensing as we will no longer hold individual licences. We will operate under a class licence. Class licence doesn't mean that every man and his dog can get on air on the amateur bands and do as they like because even though it's a class licence, we still need to gain the permission of the regulator, the ACMA, which is the Australian Communications and Media Authority. Permission is given with a certificate of recognition from the ACMA to people who are qualified and these certificates will reflect your level of amateur radio qualification, which here in Australia is foundation, standard or advanced. Some may say that it's a Clayton's licence, but looking on the bright side, it offers some protection to the integrity of the hobby by limiting permission to use the class licence to suitably qualified people, and in theory, enabling the ACMA to deal with intruders. I'm not confident that they would be interested in the odd cat callers and carrier droppers, so don't get your hopes up in that respect. So what happens tomorrow? Nothing, mostly. As far as we're concerned, the ACMA will throw a big switch with their legislative instruments and internal processes to change us over to the class licence. And from there, the ACMA will handle all aspects of amateur radio, examinations, call sign administration and issuing certificates of recognition. All existing amateur radio licence holders received a letter a couple of weeks ago listing their call signs and the letter serves as a certificate of recognition. So, the ACMA will be very busy. I recorded this item on Friday, and I'm expecting an information dump from the ACMA later on Friday or on the weekend, so keep an eye on your emails. 
But for us, it's business as usual, that's all. How easy is that? Just get on air and make some noise. All ahead full. Ding, ding. Foundations of Amateur Radio I recently discussed some of the notions of amateur radio as emergency response. The idea that you might jump into the breach and be a hero is appealing and often celebrated. The American Radio Relay League, or ARRL, proudly tells the story of two amateur radio emergency communication events, one of a person who fell in their bathroom and happened to have a handheld radio that they used to contact another amateur, who contacted emergency services. The story goes on to say that being part of the Amateur Radio Emergency Services, or ARIES, had taught the amateurs the ITU phonetic alphabet, as if that's not a requirement for getting your amateur license. Then there's the story of two teenagers who were critically injured in a remote area, and Amateur Radio rescued them due to a contact with a random local amateur. Never mind that there was a local off-duty EMT who actually stabilised the patients. While you might point at this as amateur radio to the rescue, to me this is a case of people attempting to make the story about amateur radio. If the person in the bathroom happened to have a mobile phone nearby, the story would not have even made the nightly news. And if the people in the remote area had actually prepared properly, they'd have had an emergency position indicating radio beacon or EPIRB and a satellite phone, rather than accidentally bumping into a random radio amateur. Moving on, have you ever noticed that your mobile phone stops working after a couple of hours during a power outage? It's because mobile phone towers run on batteries that, depending on load, might last up to 12 hours, often much less than that, anywhere from down when the power goes out to three hours until the batteries fail. Note that I'm not talking about the battery in your phone, I'm talking about the ones in the tower serving your phone. I mentioned previously that there was a network outage affecting 40% of the Australian population. The get-out-of-jail card was that the rest of the population still had mobile, landline and internet connectivity. What would happen if the other network operator also went down? Is there a place for amateur radio in those scenarios? Let's explore. If all mobile, telephone and internet networks were down, what would that look like? Could you call an ambulance or the fire department using amateur radio? Who would you talk to? On what frequency? And on which radio would they be listening? Would you set up your portable shack in the local hospital or fire station? Would ambulances and fire services be able to coordinate during such an outage? Or would you have your local amateur club ride along on every ambulance and fire truck? What does such a system look like in actuality? Has there been any planning or training for this? Are there refresher courses and special certifications? Does your local community have anything like this in place, or are you starting from scratch? During widespread and long-lasting fire emergencies in Australia, radio amateurs have acted as emergency services radio operators. There is at least one amateur club where, years ago, the members underwent special training with the local state emergency services to learn their language and procedures, just in case it becomes short-staffed when an actual emergency occurs. I've often said that doing contests is a good way to learn how best to operate your station and how to work in adverse environments with lots of interference, man-made or otherwise. 
The reality is that it's more likely than not that you'll be using a line-of-sight FM radio in the emergency services communications bunker than sitting in the rubble of your shack using HF with a wire antenna running off battery trying to get someone, anyone, to help you and your community. There are official amateur radio emergency organisations, WISEN in Australia, ARIES and RACES in the United States. Much is made by these organisations about joining and training, but very little in the way of actual emergency response. Is that a marketing issue, or are these types of organisations obsolete and waiting to be disbanded? My point is this. If amateur radio is really a service, as the WIA states, a trusted partner in emergency response, or as the ARRL puts it, when all else fails, even making that a registered trademark, where is the evidence of their activity? Where are the annual reports, the after-action lessons learned, the inter-team competitions, the talks at local clubs, the league tables of emergencies handled, lives saved and babies born? To give you insight into just how broken this is, any licensed amateur can become a member of ARIES, but you can only read their newsletter if you're a member of the ARRL. In Australia, for a while, the WIA offered a course for public safety training for radio amateurs, but only to amateurs with an advanced licence which I discovered after spending $633.92 to print out, collate and bind the 973 pages of course material, as if those of a lesser amateur radio qualification somehow were less able to read a map, operate communications equipment, follow defined occupational health and safety policies and procedures, work effectively in a public safety organisation as part of a team or in an emergency operations centre. So, what's your plan for providing amateur radio as a service? I'm Ono, Victor Kilo 6, Foxtrot Lima Alpha Bravo. This is News West, your amateur radio news on VK6ARN, originating on the News West linked repeater network and HF Relays. If you happen to listen to the right part of the 80 metre band on a Tuesday evening, you might hear something that sounds like this. The CQQRS net has been running every single Tuesday for the last two years and has been unbelievably popular. There are usually half a dozen, a dozen and a couple of times up to 18 stations, popping in and out when they can over the four or five hours. The aim is to encourage new CW operators to have a go at slow CW in a safe and really friendly environment where slow speed and lots of mistakes are par for the course. It's all about having a go, starting with a basic call sign and RST exchange, then over time getting better and better. The net also attracts its fair share of old-timers who enjoy helping others to have a go or just to enjoy the banter. So this might be just the opportunity you've been waiting for to have a go at transmitting on CW or perhaps just to stop the contacts rusting up on your key. Doesn't matter whether you're brand new to the code or if you're an old-timer who would like to have a bit of fun 
and help encourage new operators by having simple, safe QSOs at their speed, we'd love to have you join in. The net starts at 0900 Zulu every Tuesday on 80 metres between 3540 and 3570 kilohertz, and there's stations in the west, east and in between listening out for your CQ QRS call. For more information and to receive our weekly CQ QRS RAGCHU newsletter, contact me, Mark, VK6QI, via my email address on qrz.com or you can email me direct, mark.bosma at icloud.com. That is M-A-R-K dot B-O-S-M-A at icloud.com. Too much switch mode power supply hash on 80 metres? This might be the incentive to do something about it. With a cheap noise cancelor costing less than $100, 80 metres could be easier than you think. So once again, Tuesdays from 0900 Zulu until late, between 3540 kHz and 3570 kHz. Cheers from Mark, VK2KI and VK6QI. It's been a while since we provided an update on Ham College. We finished the last year with a half dozen new standard advanced licensed holders joining our ranks and over the year around 100 new foundation license holders. All our courses continue to be popular and our feedback has all been very positive and does keep us motivated. We run one of the longest advanced standard courses around, starting in March and ending in October. It's not the fastest course, but it is a course with a lot of depth and our students leave the college with both a license and great knowledge to begin or continue their ham journey. This year looks like being a very similar one with five already for our standard advanced course that will start in March, April and with our first foundation course being in April due to not wanting to be running a course straddled over the the handover between AMC and ACMA we have a reasonably full course already. The big elephant in our room over the Christmas break was the news that we'll most likely need to move premises as the City of Canning will not be renewing the lease of the facility to the local SCAR group that has allowed us to remain there for so long. We have a few options to explore and we have a scout unit who's kindly offered for us to use their facilities for training. More on this in the coming weeks. Despite the forced move to a new premises, Ham College is not a building. It's a group of very competent and motivated trainers and assistants. And we're in a good place to continue this even if we are in an itinerant premises for the next six months. The move has resulted in a program of decluttering that has been way overdue and a reasonable percentage of these goods ended up in the hands of others after Pargfest last weekend. A big shout out to Parg for hosting the event it was great fun and certainly Ham College appreciated the opportunity to get more involved in the Ham community and to get a few DB for the college coffers for some old gear If you're looking to upgrade or if you're looking for an opportunity to give back to the Ham community Anyone is welcome to look at our website, hamcollege.org.au, and to get in contact with us. Thanks for listening. Look forward to hearing news from other clubs over the coming weeks. A big thank you to the News West team for putting this news together week after week. This is Steve, VK6SJ, President of Ham College. You may notice that News West has been light on for content lately, 
and I've been playing a lot of repeat stories, but you can help us to change that by sending your stories or contributions through to newswest at vk6.net. Hi there, it's Clinton VK6FCRC back with you again. Um, unfortunately, there's no helpline this week because Roy's in hospital, so we've got a repeat episode for you guys this week. Good morning, this is Roy VK, 6X-Ray Victor with this week's hotline, the 21st of January 2024. For radio amateurs and shortwave listeners everywhere, today I have the following for you. An Mtron grid dip meter, model Echo Delta Mic-1, frequency range 1.5 to 250 MHz, has original carton and manual, as new $300 for that grid dip meter. There's an Oscar Block Power and SWR meter, model SWR200, frequency range 3.5 to 150 MHz, power 2 kilowatts, up to 2 kilowatts from 2 watts, and original carton and manual for that, and asking $100. There's also a Kenwood Tango Sierra 711 Alpha 2 meter all mode transceiver, $300. There's a Kenwood TS811 Alpha transceiver, multi mode 70 centimeter transceiver. There's an ICOM IC3200 Alpha and power supply, 144 to 430 MHz dual band transceiver, $300, $350, sorry. And there's a Uniden UHFCB, $100. Contact Barry on his email, bravo.juliet.burns at bigpond.com or mobile 0428-959-771. I'll go again, bravo.juliet.burns at bigpond.com or mobile 0428-959-771. I also have a premium software-defined transceiver model, Flex 6700 transceiver, three years old but in pristine condition. Comes with expert advice if you require any and version 3 firmware asking 7.5K or $7,500. And uh, while it's the earlier version, it comes with the latest version controller. Amplifier was sold. Call Steve for that uh, Flex transceiver, 6700 transceiver. Please call Steve on uh, mobile 0447 dot hyphen sierra juliet dot com dot au or say it again sierra tango echo victor echo spelling steve at sign kennedy kilo echo november november echo delta yankee hyphen sierra juliet dot com dot au and that's all i have for you for this week if you like any items for next week in the helpline please call me or email me on roy dot watkins at bigpond dot com that's Romeo Oscar Yankee dot Watkins at bigpond.com or VK6XRayVictor at bigpond.com. 7-3 until next time. Cheers for now. Hi there, it's Clinton, VK6FCRC, back with you. And did you know that Newswest is now on YouTube? Type in youtube.com forward slash at Newswest weekly podcast dash kilo Zulu 7 Yankee Charlie. Oh, and before I go, I'd like to thank those watching on YouTube or ATV, the readers, and you for listening. I'd also like to thank our team, the broadcasters, and those submitting content each week. Please stand by now for callbacks after the broadcast. Or head over to the vk6.net website 
and fill out the forms so we know how many people are listing each week. 